I hope everyone had a Merry Christmas yesterday. Um, I know it was a good time, good weekend for me to spend time with family and to really remember and celebrate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yeah, like Pastor Tom mentioned, I'm wearing, you know, a bit nicer clothes than usual because I'm a seminary grad now. So, you know, there's more unction and oomph. Who knows? We'll see. Um, But it is the final Sunday of 2021. And It is an honor, it is a privilege to be preaching God's word for us one last time before we turn the calendar to 2022. And one thing that's really difficult for me, um, and it's not related to seminary or anything, one thing that's really difficult for me around this time of the year um, is the cold and dry weather of this winter season, which isn't really that cold or dry, it's Southern California standards, but usually around the months of November to about February, my skin starts to get really dry, and, you know, I know I shouldn't, but every time it itches, I scratch it, it starts to get little rashes all over my body, and that's kind of like the sign for me to, okay, start using lotion. Um, That's exactly what happened this past month for me, that exact same process, except this year, um, those rashes actually just got bigger and redder, and I realized, okay, like, I'm having hives all over my body, not good. Um, They kept coming and going as it pleased. I tried Benadryl, I tried ice, I tried all these things, but these hives would just not leave, so I had no choice but to see my doctor, so made an appointment, made an appointment, um, first week of December, and while I waited for a couple weeks, I thought about, hey, what could be causing these hives? Was it the new laundry detergent our family started using? Um, I, don't, I don't know, did I develop a new allergy to, to food? Um, I Google searched almost every single day. Uh, so when the appointment finally came, I was, I was prepared. I was ready for my doctor to ask me a bunch of questions like, hey, what new foods have you been eating? You've been exercising and conduct all these skin tests to kind of see, hey, like, are you allergic? Um, but to my surprise, he just looked at me and he said, hey, um, I think you're stressed out. <laughs> like, are you stressed? And, and I was like, no, I don't think so. I, life's good. <laughs> There's nothing to complain about. It's, it's pretty good. And, and I told this to Pastor Tom and Pastor Sam, and, and, and Pastor Sam's words, um, he said, you waited all this time just for the doctor to tell you that you're stressed out. I probably could have figured that out on my own eventually, but I was caught off guard, right? Because when I, in my intense Google searching, um, I saw stress as a possible, you know, cause of hives. But anytime I read that, I was like, no way, life is good. I'm done with seminary pretty much. I'll have a lot more time. But, and, and thankfully, I, I'm on meds, so like the hives have gone away. I'm a lot better now. But if I really peel back the layers of my pride, I have to admit to myself and to everyone here today, I was really stressed. There was a lot of stuff going on that now, as I look back, I was stressed out about. And I'm not going to bore you. There's a lot of different things I could point to. But the common theme of the things that were stressing me out, I guess, all dealt with the future. Right? I was stressed out about what's going to happen. Yeah, now that I am done with seminary. What's, what's going to happen with college group? Right? Just this past weekend, I found out the UC's first two weeks are remote. So, like, what's going to happen there? Right? What's going to happen? Is, is Buena Park High School somehow going to like stop having us here? And all these different questions, and I'm sure not everyone, maybe no one here cares about those things, but aren't we all at least a little bit worried about the future? Right? Aren't we all stressed out just a little bit about what's to come? Don't we try our best to plan out our days, our schedules, so that we're prepared for what tomorrow will bring? 
what we're going to do today is look at a passage that deals with this topic, this topic of the future. So if you will turn your Bibles with me to James chapter 4, we're going to read from verses 13 to 17 to see what James, the brother of Jesus, has to say about our approach to the future. So if you have your Bibles or your Bible apps, if you don't, I believe the text will be behind me as well. I'll read for us James chapter 4, starting in verse 13. This is what James writes. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Amen. This is the reading of God's word. Uh, These verses, this passage might be familiar to some of us, maybe most of us here. But what I'm going to do this morning for the next half hour or so is to look at two approaches to the future that we can have. Two approaches that James describes in how we can plan and approach the future. The first approach is what I'm going to call the prideful approach. Um, using the language of the passage, we can just call it the boastful approach. The second, the second way to approach the future is going to sound similar, but it's what I'll call the confident approach. So prideful and confident. These are two approaches that James describes in this passage, and we're going to answer the question, how are we as Christians, how are we as followers of Christ supposed to live with the future in mind, pridefully or confidently? So let's first look at the prideful approach. And when we read this passage, nothing inherently seems to be wrong or sinful about it. But James, he uses just kind of like really extreme language to describe this first approach, this prideful approach. Let's read verse 13 and then jump down to verse 16. So this approach, James says, is prideful. He says, come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. We jump down to to verse 16 and he says this way of thinking is as it is you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. He's saying that to the merchants that he's talking to in verse 13, hey, this way of thinking, this way of approaching the future, this is evil. And we're kind of thinking, James, like, you just went zero to 100. Like, what's so wrong about this, right? Inherently, there's nothing wrong with going going to a town, trading, making a profit. None of those things are evil in and of themselves. But what I believe James is addressing is the attitude behind those actions. The, the approach, the presumption that provokes such strong language. So I'm going to just really, really quickly break down verse 13 for us. Today or tomorrow, right? James is talking to these merchants that are making this business plan, if you will. Right? Today or tomorrow, these merchants are they're presuming, hey, the time of their plan. They, they can guarantee that. So today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town. Not only the time, but their destination is guaranteed. They've arranged where they're going to be doing their business in. And there, they're going to spend a year there, and they're going to trade and make a profit. So not only when they're going to go, where they're going to go, but how long they're going to stay there, what they're going to do. And even the, the end result of making a profit is something these people uh, kind of already have in mind. In their mind, is guaranteed. And I'm a planner by nature, 
right? I like to have a to-do list and put things down in my schedule. So to me, when I read verse 13, it doesn't seem like this is evil. This seems just like people being responsible, right? Unless I'm mistaken, there's a bunch of other passages in the Bible where Christians were called to be responsible, where we're supposed to be good stewards of our time. So why, again, does James call this approach or refer to it as boasting, boasting in arrogance, the answer is it's because God is nowhere to be found in their plan, right? If you just kind of go through the passage again, the language of verse 13 shows where their confidence is rooted in. It's we will go into such and such a town. We will spend a year there. We will trade. We will make a profit. Where's God? They have all these plans, yet there's no reference to God. One commentator, he calls this just practical atheism. For all intents and purposes, God has no place in their plans. And we sort of do the same thing. Right? For, for example, a modern-day uh, version of this verse could be, next March, I will go to Hawaii. I will spend a week there. I'll eat a bunch of good food, and I'll have a great time. Or more relevantly for our church, on January 9th, 2022, we will launch as Grace Hill. We'll have new initiatives, and we will become this more passionate and effective community. Right? We, we might have these good plans, even good plans for the kingdom, for God, but if we're not mentioning or having God in them, for all intents and purposes, again, God is not in the picture. See, the presumption that our best laid plans will come to fruition, it, it reflects this inflated view of ourselves, and that's what James is calling arrogance, prideful, evil. Right? In these past couple of years, I think all of us, yeah, all of us have, have had plans for the future that didn't plan out, that, you know, to be honest, just failed miserably, fell flat on space, right? Some of us, we have furniture that's been, you know, on some dock for five months because of supply chain issues. We have no, like, couch or dining table. Uh, a lot of us have had, to have had our vacation plans get canceled because of COVID, right? A lot of us here, too, for the, the couple's... Uh, Wedding venues canceling, postponing on you, right? The unpredictability of COVID and the general unpredictability of life, it messes with our plans. It foils our plans all the time. And what happens is it results in frustration or disappointment. It results in anger or hopelessness, confusion. I went to the dentist a couple weeks ago for the first time in, in about two years, and uh, it feels a little weird because I feel like I'm just sharing my medical history with everyone here. Like, I, I've waived my HIPAA rights. But in my mind, I was like, hey, like, I scheduled a doctor's appointment. Might as well do the same thing with my dentist. Um, and, and I'll spare you all the details of how many cavities, um, how many root canals I've had. Just, just one. But one thing that the dental hygienist told me was, was really fascinating. I had never heard this before. And, and this thing she told me was, Hey, people, we actually need to rest the, our tongues on the roof of our mouth. And I was like, why? Like, that feels weird. And she said, we have to do that because for a lot of us, subconsciously, our tongues, they rest on the, the floor of our mouth, right? And, and what that does is over time, the tongue is actually a muscle that's strong enough that over time as it rests while we sleep or, I don't know, we're just sitting or living, it slowly pushes our teeth. It slowly moves them outwards. And that's why people, they can have braces, you know, for 18, 24 months or however long, straight, 
And a couple years later, they're like, oh my goodness, I need braces again. It's probably because their tongues have just been, without us knowing, pushing our teeth out. So why am I, why am I telling you this? It's because this, this prideful approach that James is talking about, it's kind of like our, our tongues. Right? It sounds weird. But our approach is so subtle. Without even us being aware, we make our plans without God. Right? We just neglect God. We're not thinking about him. It's not like we're, we're, we're on purpose kind of making these plans and saying, God, I don't care what you say. We just, he's just not in our minds. We don't think about him. And it's become a habit over time for us just to make plans on our own. Much like how my tongue has subconsciously made a habit of resting on the floor of my mouth. And while my tongue, the result of that is jagged teeth, the result of neglecting God in our plans, in our lives, is a jagged life. Right? When we don't factor in, when we're not conscious about keeping God in our decision making, in our plans, we're not prepared for the ups and downs that come with our plans not working. Right? We end up being shaken, disappointed. We have to consciously have God in our, in, in our plans, in our approach to the future, or else we're going to be caught off guard. And we're going to end up with doubts and bitterness and all these negative emotions and feelings. It's likely that the people that James is addressing here are people just like us. Because around this time of writing, there were a lot of new markets in the Roman Empire, right? A lot of new business opportunities. That's why people with a little bit of wealth, a little bit of affluence, they had the means to to make these business trips, to plan and think about all the profits they're going to make. And like us, where we do have some means, right? Where we do have opportunities to invest in stocks or get into, you know, the crypto bubble or start a side hustle, whatever it might be. We are the people that James is talking to, right? It's not that we have this overwhelming greed. Our desire is not to anything sinful, but it's in our comfortable middle to upper class Orange County lifestyles where we have a little bit more time, where we have a little bit of extra cash, and eventually we build our lives where God functionally has no place in it. Right? It doesn't, he doesn't make a difference. God doesn't make a difference in where we send our kids to school, what jobs we take or how we spend our money or time. Without knowing it, we adopt this prideful approach to life where we're the ones that make everything happen, where we earn everything we own. And we'll never verbalize it, right? A lot of us are Asian Americans. There's too much shame in that to, you know, be outwardly prideful about it. We'll never verbalize it, but we actually begin to believe, hey, I don't need God in my life. I'm doing fine without him. And functionally, we take his place in how we organize our lives and how we plan for the future and how we make decisions. And when we take the place of God, that's why James, he calls this a boastful, arrogant, evil approach. Right? When, we, when we take the place of God in our lives, that's sin, as James mentions in verse 17. Right? He says, so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. For us as Christians who, who know that God is supposed to be in our plans, when we don't do that, that's sin. And James, he mentions right here, whoever knows the right thing to do. And, and that's the, the second approach we're going to talk about, the, the confident approach to the future. So this confident approach, this right thing to do, opposed to the prideful approach, it, it's, it's an approach marked by humility. So let's read verses 14 and 15 to really flesh this out. 
James to these people who are making these plans. He's saying, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. I think verse 14 just puts to words what we've all learned from the pandemic. It's, it's that we don't know what tomorrow will bring. We just have no idea. We don't even know what the next hour will bring. Right? We've had Lambda, Delta, Omicron. We're going to be out of Greek letters soon. right? And I don't have to convince you to know that we're, we're not in control. We, we don't have control over what new strain of COVID happens, what, what happens within our church community, what happens with venue. We don't have control over any of that. And James, similarly, he's saying to the people in verse 13, hey, that's a, that's a really nice business plan, but what makes you so confident that it, it, it's going to succeed, right? What makes you so confident that you're going to make a profit? What makes, you, what makes you think that your business is going to go well, Right? What makes you think that you can actually stay there for a year? What if something happens and you have to leave? Or better yet, what makes you so sure that you can even get there in the first place? What if something happens tomorrow or today or in the next hour or next minute? What, what makes you so sure? Right? We can so easily translate that to any of our plans. For example, in March of 2020, our church, we were so confident that we would be swearing in as members on March 15th, 2020, which that date will forever be ingrained in my mind. I'll never forget that date. Because that was the date that we were originally planning to, to have this monumental moment where, hey, we're, we're replanting, we're swearing in as members, it's going to be just a good start for us. And March 15th, the world got shut down. Right? We were humbled. Our plans were just put away to the side. This confident approach to the future takes the rest of verse 14 to heart. Right? The Christian that wisely approaches the future ponders the question, what is my life? Right? As James asks us, what is your life? We answer it in the way he does. We say our lives are a mist. It's, it's like the mist that comes up with the sun and is gone before we wake up. It's like, it's like the vapor that comes out of our mouth on a cold morning and disappears before we inhale and take our next breath. This approach that James is telling us to have, this approach of confidence, understands that our lives here on earth are so short. Our lives are finite. And, and this approach not only acknowledges our, our, our finitude or our weakness, but that, hey, it's, it's fragile. It, it can go at any second. We can be here and be gone in a moment. This approach, then, to acknowledge those things is to be humble. Right? This approach to the future is to approach it with humility. And humility, I don't want anyone to misunderstand me. Humility is not a code word for fear. It's not to be scared of, okay, since I'm so weak, since my life is so short, what can I do? Oh, my goodness, I'm so scared. That's not what I'm saying. Right? It would be easy to walk away from this text and think that future is something we should be scared about. Right? We, it's easy for us to think, what's the point of planning at all if they're all, just, all our plans are just going to you know, get ruined anyway? But if we read verse 15 once more, James says, instead, instead of making all these plans, instead of being scared even, he says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. If the Lord wills. Right? 
It's not if the Lord wills, we will have this grand business plan. If the Lord wills, we will make this big move, this big purchase. Notice he says, if the Lord wills, we will live, right? This humility is to accept our lives are so fragile, even God allowing us to live, we can't know, right? We don't take for granted that we'll be alive tomorrow, in a month, a year, however many, you know, years from now. It, we just can't take anything for granted. But it's not fear, it's confidence because the approach that we have is we shift our, our object of confidence from ourselves to God, right? That's why it's not fear. It's because we have an awesome creator, powerful God. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, famous verse, Paul, he writes, referring to God, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Boast all the more gladly of his weaknesses. In 1 Corinthians 1.31, Paul is talking about how God uses the weak and the foolish things of the world to shame the wise and the strong. Paul says, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This, this is the only type of boasting that we as Christians, as Jesus followers, are supposed to do. It's to boast in our weakness, not our strength. It's to boast in Christ, not ourselves. See, the first approach that we talked about is prideful because we're placing our hope and trust in, in, in our strength, in our might. While the second approach, this approach of humility, of confidence, we place our hope in God and we boast in our weakness. When our confidence is in the creator of the universe, we can humbly acknowledge our powerlessness and at the same time be confident in his powerful control. I don't necessarily think that verse 15 is just telling us to say, hey, like whenever you talk about the future, you have to begin with if the Lord wills, right? It doesn't mean it's just like this magic formula or mantra. But I have found it helpful that whenever I do talk about any of my future plans, anything that I think will happen, I found it helpful to say, Lord willing, this is my plan. Lord willing, this will happen for our church, right? Because what that does is it reminds us that it's the Lord's will. It's not our will. It's not our desire that's going to come to pass. It's what the Lord wills, right? When we say Lord willing or if the Lord wills, we demonstrate this attitude of complete trust and reliance upon God. When we have God present in our planning and our decision making, we can gladly embrace whatever the outcome is. That's why, you know, yeah, as, as I've graduated, a lot of people have asked me, hey, what are your plans after seminary? What, what, what are your plans? And I don't know. Like, I, I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But what I do know, what I've made a point to do is to say, Lord willing, God will give me more opportunities to to explore this calling to pastoral ministry. Lord willing, I will one day pastor and be an elder at a church. Lord willing. But I don't want to say anything, because, anything else and be so confident in it because I just don't know. <laughs> we don't know what's going to happen. Practically, to have this approach to the future, it just means we simply let God be God and we just trust in him. You know, during my time at UCLA, um, I found out that uh, for some reason, pretty much everyone in my math and physics classes, they used pens to, to not only take notes, but to do their homework. And, like, this was, like, baffling to me because up until that point, I always used a pencil because you can erase pencil, 
right? And, and I, I never had the courage to, you know, ask my, my peers, like, hey, why do you use a pen? I just, like, my working theory is they're just so confident. They're, they're, just, they're just so smart that, hey, they know exactly what the answer is. So they'll write things down in pen. Um, but for me, like, I never used pen because I, I made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> I needed to erase all my mistakes. As Christians, I think we need to write down our plans not in pen, but in pencil. Right? We can't be so set on our plans or our hopes for the future. I think parents, again, we have a lot of uh, young parents and a lot of new babies, and I, I love seeing all of them, even if they're, you know, loud during service. I love that. I think parents, they understand this well, that you can't write down any plan in pen, right? Any, any play day, any, any visit to, like, an aquarium or zoo or whatever, or even, like, planning how long your baby will sleep, you can't plan any of that because none of it happens, Right? I'm not a parent myself, but I hear enough to know that, hey, this is just a, a, a fact of life. You can't, plan, you can't expect that all of your plans will happen exactly the way that you uh, imagine it to go. To write our plans, whatever they might be, whether it's in raising up our children or in school or who to marry, whatever it is, is foolishness. We have to write down our plans in pencil. Right? No matter how confident we are, no matter how high the probability is, we just never know that something can go wrong. As a sort of, I guess, graduation gift for myself, I bought a one-year membership to a rock climbing gym. And it was, pretty, it was on sale, so it wasn't anything extravagant. But uh, one thing, you know, as I went last week and, you know, got cut up and everything, one thing I remembered was um, this, this illustration Pastor Sam used a couple weeks ago about, hey, when you want to cl- go rock climbing, you need to have a strong grip. You need to hold on tight, right? We, and just like that, we need to hold fast to Jesus. We need to hold fast to right doctrine. We need to hold fast to the word. And I can appreciate that, right? It, it is true. If you don't have a strong grip, you're just going to fall off the wall. But at the same time, you can't have a strong grip the whole time because when you're trying to make a move, you have to let go, right? You have to have a loose grip at one point. And in that way, we need to have a loose grip on our plans, right? We can't be so set just on this route because once you're on the wall, it's just completely different from what your plan is, right? Something can go wrong. Something can, cannot be what you expected it to be. And just like that, we need to have a strong grip on Christ but a loose grip on our plans, Proverbs 19, verse 21, it tells us, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. If God doesn't allow a plan that we have to come to fruition, what we have to do is we erase that. We erase our plan. We correct our course. Disruptions in our plans, they're invitations for us to acknowledge, Hey, God, he's, he's powerful over this. God, he's present, Right? interruptions in our, our plans for the future, they're, they're opportunities for us to say, God, you're wiser than I am. And this confident approach for the future is to plan diligently. It's not to just slack off. It's to plan diligently, but to make allowance for God's will to change, to, to, to correct our course. If God's will is for my plan to succeed, then great. But if not, I can still be confident that, hey, I was off. My plan, maybe this is not what God desires for my life. He's probably right, right? So that's the, the, the confident, humble approach to the future. 
right? We talked about the prideful approach where we can assert our own plans, our own knowledge and wisdom, or the confident approach where we're confident not in ourselves but in God. And obviously, as you can probably tell that James, he's telling us to do the second, right? He's calling us to be humble and to be confident in God. He's calling us to remind ourselves that we're mists that appear for a little bit, disappear. James is calling us to have this posture of Lord willing. Uh, if the Lord wills, God willing, this will happen. And I'll acknowledge that all of this could sound very familiar. It could sound very theoretical. It could sound very vague. And I'll agree that having this posture still doesn't make me feel any more comfortable or less anxious about the fact that I don't know what's going to happen in the future, right? We all want to know what's going to happen. We want to be prepared. And it would be nice. It would be nice to know exactly what the Lord is willing for us, right? We, we would want to know where we'll be a year, three, five, ten years from now. We, we want to know. It would be nice for us to know, hey, what job or where is my career going to end? When is it going to end? Right. Who, who am I going to get married to? How, how many kids will I have? Like, am I going to have a nice house? It would be nice to know all of these things, right? It would be nice to know those things, but they're in the future. What we do know is, is a couple things. We know a couple things that God has already willed in our lives. We know, for example, that God the Father willed for God the Son to come down in the form of a man. We celebrated this yesterday, right? We know that he willed that Jesus would take on flesh, which we examined for four weeks in the, during Advent. We, we know that God willed Jesus to take on flesh and resist every temptation, remain pure. We know that he was betrayed by one of his closest friends. We know that God willed for Jesus Christ to sacrifice himself on behalf of all, on behalf of all of mankind's sin. We also know According to scripture, that in his last hours, Jesus was praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Right? We, we know that Jesus, he prayed, God, won't you remove this cup from me? Yet not my will, but your will. Not mine, but God's be done. Right? We know that Jesus, he actually followed through. He secured salvation for us through his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Church, when we focus on what God has willed in the past, we find the strength to trust in whatever the Lord wills for the future. Right? The certainty of the past, it overshadows all of the, the scary things of the future. The uncertainty of the future, we have the strength to, to face them head on because of what is known from the past. To conclude, I looked back at all the sermons that were preached these past couple of years, and one thing that made me do is uh, really appreciate our pastors, Pastor Tom and Pastor Sam, because I think they really exegete and preach the, the, the word in just a way that is powerful and faithful. And so I'm so appreciative of that as I kind of look through all of our sermon titles and listen to a couple of them. Um, but I found it oddly poetic that the last sermon that was preached before the pandemic interrupted our lives. It was on Genesis 11. It, it, it was the last sermon in our, in our series, uh, The Gospel According to Genesis. And Pastor Tom, he preached this, this message on the Tower of Babel. I think a lot of us are familiar with that story. Pastor Tom, he said that verse 4 is considered to be the lowest point in the whole book of Genesis. So I guess... To add on to the holiday blues, let me read that for us. Genesis 11, verse 4. Then they said, 
Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. It sounds kind of like our passage from today, right? Come, let's, let's, today or tomorrow we'll go to this town. We'll sell things. We'll make a profit. Except Genesis 11.4, it's, it's explicitly prideful, right? They, they, they're making it known, hey, the purpose of this is to essentially become God, right? To take God's place. Genesis 11, it's, it's a warning sign to not just the everyday Christian, but for us as individuals and, and as a church, right? I think the temptation will be great for us to think, hey, God desires the, the, the greatest things in my own life and, and to follow down that path. It could be a temptation for us to think, hey, God is going to do some amazing things in our church. Lord willing, he does. But it's, it, it can be a temptation for us to approach the future like that. Right? And in all, all, all honesty, um, it might not even happen. Right? <laughs> According to our track record, like we make these plans to do things. And then for some reason or another, it gets pushed back. It gets postponed. That's a real possibility. Right? We, we can look forward to January 9th, but it might not be January 9th. Right? It might not be 2022. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what 2022 will bring. Right? We don't know what the future or tomorrow will bring. But we can approach this new year humbly, confidently, boldly. Right? Even though our churches launch, even though our personal lives, the, the timeline and, the, and the, the row and the impact and what happens, even though it can look vastly different than what we're imagining right now, one thing that I, I, I do know for sure is Christ is sovereign over it all, right? And in light of that, I think we can't be a church that doesn't include God in our plans, right? As we prepare to... To, to step into becoming Grace Hill, step into this new chapter of our church, I want to encourage all of us to pray. It's a cost of prayer. That's the, that's the practical application of our sermon. Let's, let's not wait until January 1st. Let's not wait till the new year. But let's pray, both for ourselves and for our church, right? That we, as, as every member, volunteer, pastor, leader, whoever is in this room, can I call us to pray that... that we would do whatever the Lord wills. That we would approach the future humbly yet confidently to walk on the road that God has prepared for us rather than what we might think or what we might be envisioning. I mean, Jesus, he taught his followers in the Lord's Prayer. Right? He prayed that God's kingdom would come, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And this requires us. It requires us to spend enough time to listen to God on a regular basis so that we can know, okay, God is overriding my plans. Okay, this is not the route that, this is not the direction God wants me to go, wants our church to go in, right? Let's, let's spend time in prayer. And, and I know as Pastor Tom mentioned, it's, it's the holiday blues right now. I know for some of us here, especially this holiday season, we're hurting. There, a loved one passing, uh, plans to gather, um, plans to celebrate together, all those being, you know, tossed to the side. We're hurting right now. And we hear this and we might think, that's a nice idea. But can I encourage you? Can I encourage you individually and can I encourage us as a church to, to rally and to be present 
that this would be a message of hope and encouragement, that we know that God is sovereign, that his will will be done. So can we? Can we approach this new year starting today, starting maybe even at our prayer service? Can we pray and be in prayer for our church, for whatever God has in store for us? So at this time, I want to do just that. I want to invite our praise team up, and I want to provide a space for us to reflect for a couple moments Maybe look back on 2021, to look back on how God has allowed some things to come to fruition, how God has maybe altered our course. I want to invite us to spend, spend a couple moments to just reflect and come to God and maybe even ask him, Lord, where are you leading me? Where are you leading our church in 2022? Where are you leading us as we prepare to, to step into being Grace Hill? We're going to be singing a song, it's called All Glory Be to Christ. Would that be at the center of all of our plans? Right? Unless the Lord does raise the house, in vain its builders strive. Let's have that in our minds as we reflect for the next couple moments. And then I'll pray for us.